Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 247, Spacesuits and Rovers. I'm Gary Jordan. I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, and astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. On this episode, we're going to be introducing a new program at NASA that's overseeing the development of the next boot prints and tire tracks that we'll soon be seeing on the lunar surface. The program is called Extravehicular Activity and Human Surface Mobility Program, or EHP, and its mission is to work with industry and international partners to help develop the next generation of spacesuits for low Earth orbit and for the moon, as well as the next generation of lunar rovers. The guest is the program's manager, Laura Kearney. We had her on the podcast before to talk about the Gateway program, of which she spent a few years as its deputy manager. But today we're diving into the design of this new program and some big milestones that are already underway. So let's get right into it. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Laura Kearney, thank you so much for coming on Houston Wave Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So last we talked, funny enough, you uh, were here to talk about starting a new program, and that's what we're going to do today. You did the Gateway program, and and now we're going to be talking about this new EHP program. Seems like you're a pro at this at this point. Yeah, you know, I realize I really like the early startup phases. I love <laughs> the strategy. I love team building. Um I've just, you know, I'm drawn to it and have kind of gotten a little good at it over the time. So, yeah. So here we go. Another opportunity. I think so. So, yeah, we when we talked, it was, the, the program that we were talking about was the program was at its infancy. It was the Gateway program. And a lot of time has passed since we last talked. Um, you were you were really just getting getting the program itself off its feet. Growing the team, uh, you know, make it, uh, and you've passed a lot of milestones since then. Um, what has happened in your tenure as the deputy manager of, of Gateway? Where did you Where did you leave the program off? Yeah, I started, uh, you know, kind of shifting my time over to this new program last fall. Mm. Um, but the the Gateway program, they are just really, really moving at this point. That they have all of their major elements on contract now, which wow. is huge, right? So that means. People are really moving and heading into the design work and starting to cut metal, right? So having all of the contracts in place is a big deal. Um, they are actually holding just this week what they're calling their PDR sync review. So all these elements are kind of coming together into a preliminary design review level of of detail. Um, so major milestone for them. Yeah. And uh, last I checked, they're still on target to um, launch PPE Halo in the November 2024 timeframe. So, so they're cooking over there. Yep. Can you imagine? It's, it's, it's really wild to think about that. We were talking about starting a program and now you're talking about launching hardware. You're yep. talking about launching actual things. So that's, you're right. It's a fast, fast moving kind of uh, program. And it seems to be, that seems to be the model that we see nowadays is all these very fast moving 
things happening. Yep, I think so. Yeah, I when I was asked to uh, take on this new program, I'm kind of modeling it after Gateway, right? A oh. lot of kind of the lean management structures, it kind of helps with efficient and quick decision making. So yeah, a lot of the lessons learned from the first three years of Standing Up Gateway we're bringing into this new program. So you said you, you've been in the new program since fall. So when they approached you, when you when you said, I, you know what, I think I'm ready to take on this challenge, what were some of the your thoughts thinking about, okay, you know, I, I've been working on Gateway for a while. It's, it's, I think I can apply a lot of what we've done with it with an, and, and make it even better for, for this next go around. What were some of the things going through your head? Yeah, I was kind of excited. I uh, I actually come from an EVA background. My, my, my first job 30 years ago when I stepped on site Johnson Space Center was related to spacesuits and the human element and physiological testing in spacesuits. So, um, and, and then even in the uh, 2000s, I was in the EVA project office under the Constellation program. So I kind of have an EVA heritage so it was a little bit of excitement to get back into the EVA world again. Um, and then just to, yeah, be able to take all of the lessons learned from Gateway and, and how we had established that program, the processes and the procedures, um, knowing that I could take all of that and, and shift it over and help this program be successful too. It, so it just seemed kind of like a really good fit. And and I'm always up for something new and, and a challenge. So yeah, I just decided to take it on. Awesome. So since fall, now we're, we're recording this in the late spring, coming up on early summer here, here very shortly. Um, how are, have things been going? It's, uh, it's a short amount of time, but I'm sure you've gotten a lot done. Going well. Yeah, so a program like this actually has to be congressionally approved. Interesting. So last fall, I was working with the center management here with Vanessa YH and, and with the ACD management, Mark Kirisich, and, and at the time, HEO, Kathy Leaders, and we were kind of formulating what we wanted this program to look like through the fall. So I, I kind of had my ideas. I was starting to get it written down on paper, what I wanted it to look like. And kind of got to a point around Christmas time where I'm like, okay, ready to go, ready to go. And we uh, we were waiting for congressional approval. Hmm. And uh, that finally came to us in January. Uh, and the timing was really good. I kind of like blitzed hiring a leadership team <laughs> in a matter of weeks. I The HR people are wonderful. They had to put up with me doing nothing but interviewing and for about two or three weeks um, because I really wanted to catch this spring's budgetary cycle. We call it PPBE because uh. um, I wanted this new leadership team to come in and really own this program and own their scope. And, mm. and one of the best ways to do that is to have to write it down and put dollars against it. So And hire fast so they can write it. Exactly. That's exactly right. Hire that leadership team and get them on board. Mm -hmm. um, we, we threw out an org chart in mid-February. We turned around, had a leadership retreat. We said, PPBE is your top priority and go. And so they had about six to eight weeks to formulate their scope in terms of of budget. Um, and just last week, actually, we presented um, our program's first budgetary submit to uh, Jim Free and Kathy Leaders just last week. So um, off to a really, really great start. Those are the associate administrators of the human exploration programs, exactly. the space operations, and then um, I forget what the other one's called. ESDMD. ESDMD. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Fantastic. And yeah. yeah. So you've been rolling. We've been rolling. That's awesome. Um, now, in terms of the, the, the team, 
because obviously I think being being a manager, one of the things it sounds like that you were very passionate about from the strategy was uh, hiring the right people to come in and and do this job. And because ultimately you said they're going to define their scope, so you had to find the right people, people you can trust in order to be able to do to do that. Who did you hand, headhunt? Yeah, so it's a kind of a combination of everything. Um, in, in Gateway, there was a formulation team um, that was in place. So we had some people that had Gateway knowledge, but hmm. for the most part, the program team, we we hired the whole team. Hmm. Um, in this case, the projects that we gathered underneath this program, so it's... Um, Maybe I should probably even tell you what's in our program. Maybe we start there. <laughs> so we have um, the EVA operations on space stations. So the EM, the existing EMUs and the EVA tools and everything needed to make space station EVA successful. Spacesuits and tools. Yeah. Spacesuits okay. and tools. Okay. And under the spacesuit world, we have both, think of it kind of heritage and new. So we have the heritage mm. EMU. That's on space station, but we also have this new suit development, Um, and the new suit will be developed both for space station as an EME replacement and for Artemis. So we have uh, the new suit development that was already existing as part of the EVA office here at JSC. Yeah. Um, And then we had already a project in place for the lunar terrain vehicle. Mm -hmm. It was being managed out of the engineering directorate, but the leadership team was already in place. Um, And then we're taking on the pressurized rover, which is really, really early in the formulation phase. Mm. Um, So there were existing team members already. And so in this case, it was more of an art about how do you take the existing teams and kind of mesh them with new people coming in so I could balance a little bit of, you know, old skill, new skill um, as we're trying to get the team in place. So it was a little bit of overt effort and attention in the leadership team to try to kind of pair yeah. somebody coming in from the outside with somebody that was already existing and had knowledge. Um, and I think that's a lot of why we've been able to move so quickly because, you know, we had some folks on board that were already doing a lot of this work. Okay. So it sounds like, um, and that's where I wanted to go next was, was the program, defining the scope of the program. You did, you, you explained it very well. We got spacesuits, we got tools, uh, we got rovers. We're talking about the, the current stuff. We're talking about new stuff, right? You, and it sounds like it's an interesting combination of, of these goals to, um, uh, to advance these technologies, and and, and we, we I want to dive into that for a little bit, but it's also it sounds like it's 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 you're, you're gathering the expertise, the knowledge base of some of the some of the current stuff. So our current you call them EMUs. These are spacesuits that are on the the space station right now. Um, so it's a little bit of maintenance, and and you have all of these legacy things, all of these. You have a lot of history, a lot of experience uh, with that. So it sounds like your the program itself is not just focused on the new. It's this beautiful mesh of the new and the experienced. Yeah, it really is. You know, we've been doing successful EVA for decades right. now, right? So we really want to tap into all of that experience and, and make sure those lessons learned are carried forward onto the lunar surface and, and into Artemis. So um, bringing it all under one program, I think, will really be helpful. Um, so we we really kind of have two objectives, um, hmm. trying to make sure from a program perspective, we bring these projects together and we provide 
like an infrastructure. Mm. So these projects can be developed with consistent processes. The projects don't have to go reinvent the wheel. Um, we can provide a layer of efficiency within the program. So I would just say programmatic infrastructure and efficiency is part of um, the objective. And then it's mm. just, especially for the Artemis work, it's about technical integration. So the EVA suits and these rovers really have to work together on the surface to execute a mission. So we, by bringing them all under one program, we're right here together and we can talk about operational concepts and requirement allocation and which element needs to do what so that we can really hone in on that, um, making sure we have good, solid operations when we get back onto the moon. Okay. If I if I had to summarize and please steer, steer me in the right direction here, you're you're operating you're 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 operating in the space of low Earth orbit and then also on the moon for for the Artemis program, and your job is to work with respective programs and be that integrator. So you're the, you have the expertise in low Earth orbit of the EMUs of even the next generation spacesuits, which I'm sure will go to the International Space Station. But you're also thinking about space and spacesuits and ro rovers on the moon, and it's your job to not only be the source of that expertise and and get these get the hardware, get the pieces, make it work, but then integrate that with the respective missions. Yeah, I call us this program is an Uber integrating. Yeah. program, right? Awesome. Like so unlike Gateway, which is an integrated spacecraft, yeah. we are um per the official terminology what's called a loosely coupled program. Hmm. Like each of these projects are actually can, you know, can be designed and can fly and operate on their own, but they have to operate together. So hmm. we're not as tightly coupled as say a space station or an Orion or or a Gateway. Um, but operations, safety, things like that, we have to think of them um, as the overall system. So, yeah, integration is top of our priority um, for this program. I think uh, I wanted to start with spacesuits when, when, I'm, when I'm diving even deeper into, into this program because I think spacesuits is – um, that that seems to be one of the more vast components, if I'm, if I'm reading this correctly, of, of the organization because spacesuits – have, they touch everything. They do. Right? They right? touch gateway. They touch the lander. They touch space station. They touch these rovers. It it just touches everything. So high level, if you had a disc, like um, how how spacesuits maybe let, let's start with maybe a history how it was how it was organized and then what what is the vision of this new program and the scope of what you're trying to accomplish for spacesuits in the new program. Yeah, so EVA has an interesting history, you know. Um, of course, the EMUs go back to the shuttle era, right? And then they were upgraded to make sure we could build and assemble space station. And, and now it's all about just maintaining them and keeping them in, in a safe operating condition for a space station. Um, all while that was happening, you know, we were we were on a path for a new suit development under Constellation. And when Constellation uh, went away, the the team here at JSE within the engineering directorate has really done a super job since then, just continuing to advance the technologies and and move forward. You know, a new space. We knew it was going to come back eventually, right? Uh, so they've done a super job. They're actually at a point where they have um, basically basically a high fidelity engineering unit. They call it a DVT or design verification test unit hmm. of both the life support system and the pressure garment. 
Um, and so the the NASA here at JSC, the GFE team made up of the civil servants and the and the contractor, the support contractor, they have that DVT unit now completely built. It's flight-like, and it is being pushed through um, test processes. Now, in fact, we just put the life support system um, in the chamber last week to start running it through its paces. Wow. Um, so a lot a lot of advancement. Um, so it's it's now really up to us to take that knowledge and make sure we are making sure the next um, company or companies that come on board for this new generation spacesuit can utilize that knowledge going forward. Okay, so that's so this is the interesting part of this, right? You have over over the years you've explained you, you mentioned the constellation program. this was in the 2000s, right? So and that was where we had um, where we had uh, this you know, the, the spacesuits had a goal, they had a mission to, to build. but over time they've been they've been still working on it, even though the program itself went away. Um, but it sounds like there is there is this piece of hardware that's matured mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit. Quite now, a bit. now the interesting thing here that you just mentioned is what happens next and you and you and you talked about companies passing this on to companies. So what's what's going on there? What's that step? So we released an RFP about a year ago and said, okay, we want to build a new suit for the agency. So request for proposals. Request for proposal okay. um, to support both Space Station and for Artemis. And it's wrapped in one request for proposal. Hmm. Uh, we got those proposals in around Christmas time, been evaluating them. Um, we've gone through the process and and we have an award eminently here mm. um, any day. So um, what we did do, though, back to the, the GFE work, as we were going into this RFP release, we actually worked with our um, IT folks, the cybersecurity folks, the knowledge capture folks, and we created what we call a technical library, and we made over 700 pieces of information from drawings to schematics to requirements documents to spec documents, we made all of that available to people that might be interested in bidding on this contract. So they could take all of that knowledge that this government team has been working on and they would have a starting point. So we did not mandate that they had to use it, but we made it all available to them. um, And then they could choose in their proposals, you know, what if any of that information they wanted to use in their own design concepts. I got it. Okay. All right. So the spacesuit is at a certain level. Really, the the vision f- and the the purpose, the goal of your program is we've gotten to that point. You've built this massive library of knowledge that people can pull from. You are looking for the right people to take it to the next level, and that's and that's where we. That's yeah. Where well, we, are. we knew. So the suits are gonna. It's it's not like a rover where you build one of them, right? Mm. The suits you build a fleet. Right. So uh-huh. it's it's pr- it's a production line, you know, on space station, we would take them up, we'll bring them back down, we'll refurbish them um, for the moon, at least for the first few missions, we'll send them out and we'll leave them there. Hopefully we'll get to the point where we can actually bring the lunar suits back as well. But there's going to be a production line. And mm-hmm. and we, the government, never wanted to be in the production house, right? So we uh. knew there was going to come a day where we needed to get this work into the hands of industry. Um, and we had a lot of discussion about when the right time was to do that. Um, and we felt like with the government team, again, with our support contractor they had come so far and they had so much available that yeah. we thought we we felt very good and ready to go go out and do that so that we could 
you know, shift this and get into the hands of our industry partners. Okay. So, the, okay, I'm trying to, I'm trying to um, summarize the approach. The approach is we know what we want. We've done a lot of testing and, and we, we've gotten up to a certain point. Now you're looking to go out and say, build this for me. And yeah, I would be, it's kind of a little careful what we did not say build to print. We did not mm. say we have this design, go build it to print. Okay. We said, we understand what our requirements are. We have worked through all these technologies. We feel like we understand the maturity, where the risk areas are. Um, and we made that information available, but we, we left it completely. We, we handed out high-level functional requirements. I see. And said, okay, you meet these functional requirements. And then we handed them this library and said, you decide how you want to marry that up. They, in theory, could come in with a completely new idea, new design if they wanted to. Hmm. Um, so we definitely did not mandate a build build to print. Okay. Okay, so let's let's explore that a little bit more and 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 taking it taking it even further. The vision that you've laid out and you've mentioned you've mentioned in terms of spacesuits, there's going to be this component in low Earth orbit, uh, and then there's going to be this component on the moon. So how the way you have it laid out right now in terms of of what's next and what you this program is going to try to build, uh, what's the vision for for the spacesuits that you're trying to uh, work towards? Well, for for us, um, the low Earth orbit requirement set and the lunar requirement set are not all that different, especially in oh. the life support system. They're very, very common. Hmm. Um, the difference really is between being in zero gravity on space station and then being on the surface where you have to walk. And it's in the pressure garment and the mobility elements. Mm. So, so our what I would call reference design, the NASA reference design, really... There's a single kind of, I'll just call it, core capability that can support either space station or Artemis. Oh. And then you can kind of spin off, you know, some, you know, um, I'll just call it location-specific kind of derivatives, right? Um, but again, in the RFP, we did not mandate that. In theory, companies could come up with two completely different suits if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but to us, it just makes sense to kind of have a core capability that then you can use in either location. So, so as soon as the um, announcement is made and we can make design concepts, you know, public to folks, um, you know, we'll we'll be able to see what it is that this next generation spacesuit will look like. Very cool. Very cool. What's the what's if if you, if you don't mind, we we can explore this to to whatever depth uh, is is appropriate. Um but what is that scope of what this first contract is going to enable us to do? Is it is it design? Is it is it production? How far are we going? It is all the way through operations. Nice. It, so yeah, it's the com- finishing out the DDT&E work, the production, and operations on both Space Station and Artemis. You guys are moving fast. So it's all the way out. Yep, <laughs> yep. Very cool. Very cool. Um, okay, so the next component of this is the rovers. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned uh, there was this component in, in the engineering directorate that you're pulling from. What's the what's the history there? And then it's the same question as before. What's the history there? And then where are we going? Yes, we have two components. The first one, it's part of the challenge in this program is we have scope at such different places in the life cycle, right? We've got Mm -hmm. EMUs currently operating. The new suits are coming soon. This lunar terrain vehicle is about a year behind it. And then the pressurized rover is a couple years behind it. So that's part of our challenge is we have this suite 
and that is in very different maturity levels. Hmm. Um, so the next one out the gate will be the lunar terrain vehicle. Hmm. Um, and we have had an engineering team kind of working again on a, Na a NASA reference concept. We like to do that because that makes us, you know, you've heard the term smart buyer. It helps yeah. us understand when it when industry comes in with an idea, we can kind of gauge, you know, what we think will and will not work. So there is a reference design for the lunar terrain vehicle, but um, unlike the spacesuits, it's not at that level of um, design detail or test or anything like that. It's oh. much less mature than the the suits were. Um, but you've probably seen in the news, there are a lot of companies out there working on their own concepts for a lunar terrain vehicle, mm. right? So a lot, of, a lot of companies already have an idea of what they think they want it to look like, how it might operate. Um, and so they're, they're kind of waiting for us at this point to get that high level set of requirements out in the in the form of a, a request for proposal again. So Okay. Well I you know, we're probably we need to get through our procurement strategy process there, but um, you know, we're aiming at getting an RFP on the streets sometime in the summer ish for the lunar terrain vehicle. What's the what's the high level vision without without you know we you we haven't defined the exact requirements yet but what's the high level vision the, the pressurized component unpressurized what's the high level vision here for rovers so the starting with the LTV um, we kind of describe it it's it's not going to be your Apollo rover mm. by any means you know the Apollo rover call it a moon buggy was really there just to get the kind of the crew around um, this one. We want to put it on the surface and we want to leave it on the surface. So it will be there and available when the crews are there about once every year, whenever SLS Orion flies. Um, and then it's going to be on the surface the other, let's just call it 10 or 11 months out of the year. And hmm. we said, well, what if we use it to do science or some, you know, maybe we need to move pre-positioned cargo from one place to another or something like that. So hmm. it will actually be um, able to be teleoperated in that other 10, 11 months out of the year so it can actually perform science, do some logistics transfer or things like that when the crew is not there. So it's much more complex. We show pictures of kind of it's the Apollo moon buggy plus like a Mars rover all shoved together <laughs> in one thing called this LTV. Yeah. Um, and then we're asking to operate it, or we are asking it to operate on the lunar South Pole, which we're finding is really, really hard given the lighting conditions that are down there. So hmm. um, the requirements we put on this thing are going to be pretty tough. Okay. Yeah. Teleoperated. So that means you can stage it wherever you want. You say, hey, we're going to land here for Artemis blank. And you say, okay, let's move the let's move the rover. You have some other mission objectives. And I'm sure you're coming up with more tightly defining this let's zoom in on the on the lighting because i think this is a this is a big one uh, and i think it translates very nicely for uh, for spacesuits as well right spacesuits and rovers when you talk about the south pole the south pole is is very interesting it's a very interesting place there's you got volatiles there the water ice is lots of really cool science um so it's a very interesting place to explore but as you mentioned it, from an engineering perspective it's much harder why is that from a, from an engineering perspective yeah, we've really learned over the last year what it means. And so we have some really smart people that can take all of the data from these satellites, you know, and they've put videos together and and, and it really shows you how the shadows move around on on the lunar south pole. And so for vehicles that are operating down there, 
um, they they like power, right? And they get power from the sun. And when they when they're in shadow, they're not so happy, right? So um, it it it's going to be kind of a balance between following the shadows and and getting to the sun or having enough battery power to be able to survive when they're in the shadows. Um, so it's it's going to be a technology challenge for these guys to be able to, we call it survive the night, for these rovers to be able to kind of get to a point, you know, hunker down for a certain number of hours and then be able to um, kind of wake back up when the sun comes back up and they can start collecting solar energy again. Okay. Yeah. So you have you have some reference with some some of the designs we've had in the past. I, I do remember the MEV, I believe. <laughs> there, I remember that vehicle. Um, it was it kind of looks like a, a lunar rover. But now as you're as we're better understanding Artemis and where we want to go and what we want to do, one of the jobs that you have uh, is to come up with designs and 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 you have to define the requirements for for where you want to go, what you want to do. Send that out to industry so they can design solutions for exactly that. Survive the night and all of these very more complex things. Now, as we have a better understanding of what we want for a sustainable Artemis program. Yeah, you know the idea now. You you hear folks say we want to go to stay longer, right? Yeah. And so staying longer is the challenge, and we want to be able to build up you know, infrastructure eventually get to habitats, you know, bring the pressurized rover on. And so you see multiple missions where a cargo lander may, will come down, it has logistics, and you have to get that logistics from that cargo lander either to a pressurized rover or to a habitat. Hmm. Um, and this LTV is going to help do some of that um, logistics transfer. So okay. it's going to be, it'll be a workhorse, yeah. um, not only for the crew, but then again, you know, have some ride along, say science payloads on it at the same time that can collect a lot of really great scientific data at the same time. I'm guessing the spacesuits have to think about those same things, right? Lighting conditions and how to operate and all of that. So yeah, that's what you'll be looking for. And that's one of the beauties of bringing us all together under a one program, right? Because mm -hmm. we can ask ourselves, you know, maybe we don't have to carry all this functionality on the suits. Maybe it's on the rovers, right? And so the suits oh. don't have to light their whole way. The rovers can have the lights, right, and light them. So it oh. really is understanding from an architectural level how we allocate some of these functions across these elements within our programs so we're not really, um, especially with the spacesuits that somebody has to wear, right? It's easy. They can get really heavy really fast if we try to put too many of those functions on the suit themselves. So... So I think that's one of the jobs of our SCNI, our Systems Engineering Integration Organization, oh, okay. is to make sure we we have those functions allocated across our elements. So when it comes to the spacesuits and thinking about, you know, there's you mentioned um, some of the similarities with when you design a spacesuit in low Earth orbit and when you design a, design a spacesuit for. Uh, uh, the lunar surface. There's a lot of similarities, but that mobility on the lunar surface seems to have a lot of crossover. So there's a lot of similarities in those designs, but the thermal the thermal idea is is something in and of itself. What are what are some of the things you're thinking about for spacesuits when it comes to space station and what are the needs for that program? Right. This is where we talked about in the very beginning of of being the integrator of separate programs with perhaps separate needs and ideas how do you balance that in in a singular multiple design like how do you balance those needs yeah one of the 
tricks for space station is just don't screw it up, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> we've got a space station up there and they need they need this suit, yeah, right? And so in that part of the world, we have a station interface mm -hmm. and we know what tasks need to be done and this suit needs to be able to do those tasks. So in one way, we're kind of anchored on the space station side. Hmm. We're on the Artemis side, we kind of have some free design space because the suits and the rovers are all kind of being designed at the same time. But hmm. But on space station, you know, we've committed to Joel and the space station program. We're not going to come in and have to redesign your airlock or have to redesign your translation pass or something like that. So that those interfaces are really kind of set. Um, so kind of taking those those anchors in, but leaving us enough, uh, say, wiggle room where we have some flexibility on the Artemis side is is part of the challenge in this new suit. Yeah, you have. That's uh, that's it's. it's uh... It'll be interesting to navigate for sure. I'm I'm very excited to see some of the designs and and all of these things that are coming out. Um, what what when you think about the approach though, um, this seems to be it's a very interesting approach. I would like to equate it to commercial crew and uh, what we've seen for commercial low Earth orbit, but it, this one seems a little bit different. If you have to think about the way that um, that your program is approaching. Uh, working with industry to um, to work on these spacesuits and, and rovers like we've been talking about, like we've been describing. How would you compare your approach to, say, the commercial crew model? Well, for it, every individual element, we, we go through an acquisition strategy process where we think about what, what how would we want to acquire it? Do we want a commercial service? Is it better if it's more of a NASA buy kind of thing? So mm. we we think about that for each one of our elements. Um, for the suits, in the request for proposal that's out, it is a commercial service. Mm. Um, and so we, we thought about hard whether that was the appropriate thing to do. Um, and in that case, because, again, that design was so mature, we really thought it was appropriate to do that. And because you see the low Earth orbit market really starting to come alive. Hmm. And so um, we, we went out and said, we're going to take it on with the, with the EVA procurement. We're going to go commercial service. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what, you know, we decide to do ultimately yeah. on um, the rovers as we kind of walk through that process of pros and cons and, and needs of the government. We'll see what happens with those acquisitions. I, th I think uh, one of the things that was described to me as I begin to have a better understanding of this program in its infancy is um, for commercial crew, there was this idea of the plan train fly from mm -hmm. the commercial side. Mm -hmm. And we see that a lot with with NASA astronauts uh, for commercial crew missions. They go to, for example, for SpaceX, they, they go over to Hawthorne um, and they train to understand the Dragon and its systems. And that's by SpaceX trainers and, and, and they, they own that system that's theirs. Uh, but then they come to Houston and they train for their mission, which is the long duration space station mission for all the space station stuff. There's this plan train fly where we're working with SpaceX flight controllers and everything. The from what I understand about the spacesuits, it's a little bit it's a little bit different. And maybe it's in the approach of the operations that it needs to be different, but it sounds like the plan train fly is here in Houston. How does that how does that compare? Yeah, I think you're probably reading that right. We um we talk about it in terms of like the rental car model, right? Mm. Where we're not buying the car like, you know, a kind of a standard NASA acquisition. Um, 
It's also not like an Uber, right, where we're pushing it all over to this, this guys. This is more of like a rental car that the um, vendor or vendors, we'll see again how the announcement goes here coming up soon, but um, they, they own the hardware. That hardware is never transferred over to the government. Um, so hmm. it will be the contractor or contractor's responsibility to make sure all that hardware and equipment is there and ready and supporting training events. And mm. and they will actually, you know, do the training, say, on the suit itself. But when it comes mm. to flying a mission and executing an EVA, that still resides solely with NASA, JSC, you know, fly, operate, risk acceptance, risk management. So, okay. so these, um, say, the a suit... A suit vendor would almost act like it would almost be like a backroom participant, making sure the suit is operating correctly. But the actual EVA that's being executed, either on station or on the moon, is still being executed by FOD here at JSC. Okay, so the commercial is more the hardware specific, and then NASA retains the mission specific. The mission, I, yeah, I would call it mission execution. Mission exactly. execution. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. Yep. Um, now the. Spacesuits, uh, EVA, um, uh, extravehicular activities, the tools and the spacesuits. Uh, I don't, I don't know exactly their uh, historic relationship with rovers. I, there may have been some crossover, but is this, um, is there a reason why you're taking on both? They, they seem like they do kind of marry in certain ways. What's the value of the program taking on both the spacesuits and the rovers? Yeah, I think it's, again, kind of back to the whole we have to execute, a, especially on the surface, a surface mission, right? And and the hmm. ability to be able to, say, co find common tools, if we could use the same types of tools, say, on Gateway that we do on HLS, that we do on a pressurized rover, that we do on an LTV, then we get kind of commonality for crew training, just cost efficiency, um, so I think, again, we can be the glue across all of these platforms that we execute EVA from. Um, and tools is one of those areas that, you know, you would yeah. like to think we can be common there if we can get out ahead of it, right? You have to get out ahead of it, which is part of this challenge of everything being at different maturity levels, right? Right Is, um, is trying to kind of either set some requirements, say, an interoperability spec space or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And just trying to stay ahead of where that commonality might help us. Will will NASA maintain? Will will we have this commercial model? We've been talking about this commercial model for uh, spacesuits and rovers, but we haven't really explored tools too much. Is that going to be relatively the same, or is that going to be more? So EVA tools will be under this EVAS contract. So oh. when it is awarded, that tool suite will be part of that scope along with the suits. Oh, very cool. So yeah. Okay. So they're doing it. They got to do it. Yeah, they got a good job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um. When you talk about, when you think about the vision of what you're trying to build, um, and of course your team, uh, this is, you know, I think this is a very exciting time, right? I think when we first started talking, we talked about this gap from Constellation to really maturing the designs as best as they could. But now we got missions. You know, we're going we're gonna, to uh, have spacesuits on the International Space Station, spacesuits and rovers on the moon. Like, that's, that's what you guys are doing. That's pretty cool. Um, when it comes to thinking about a moon mission, 
the spacesuit is probably one of the single most visually spectacular things that a person would like when when you talk about boots on the moon you're designing the boots you're, yeah. you're working on that boot that's pretty cool when you pull back and think about what you and your team and, and the, the mission the goals that you have to be a part of what are some of the emotions that that you think of when you're just like wow i have to i get to be a part of this yeah, it's it's exciting because it's pretty iconic. Yeah. You know, people look back to the spacesuits. I think people just relate to it because it it looks human, it feels human, you know. And so um, it's exciting to be a part of. And you know, it, in the, in our industry, you just you ha kind of have to have some patience, right? Sure. Nothing happens overnight, and so these missions are gonna take you know a series of years to be able to execute, but. You know, I, I have confidence that by the end of this decade, we'll be doing EVAs on the moon, right? Um, hopefully, we'll have the LTV there. You know, at the same time, we'll see how quickly we can get the pressurized rover on the moon. But um, it'll be fun to see, you know, multiple elements coming together and working together as kind of an integrated mission. And then I think there's just no into it, right? I mean, then we start laying in for power infrastructure, we start laying calm infrastructure, you know, I think it's just a really different approach than Apollo, which was very much optimized for specific missions. This is more about laying infrastructure over time so that more and more people can play more international partners, more companies, you know, we can get more people involved. Um, and so I, I feel like that's part of our role, along with the um, Artemis campaign um, division above us, is making sure we're kind of setting that higher level vision and strategy and infrastructure so that we can allow more players to come in, you know, over time. That's fascinating, Laura. I'm like, I, I am just so excited for that. Uh, when you talk about all of these, uh, when you talk about the growth, laying the foundation for that, and when, when you talk about the timeline, like it's all very achievable. Um, and that's and that's a very exciting thing. Um, can't wait to see what this announcement is is going to hold because I feel like it's the first. Uh, it's going to lay the groundwork for this growth that you're talking about because I'm sure you're just going to expand from there on. Um, so I, I wanted to wrap up by just saying, Laura, thank you so much for coming on and explaining this. It's a new program, very exciting program. You got a lot of work ahead of you. So I appreciate you coming on and describing all that you do. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Really enjoyed this conversation with Laura Kearney today. I definitely learned a lot about this brand new program, and I hope you did too. Check out nasa.gov for any announcements and any information you can find on this brand new program, EHP. Uh, this is not the first time we've talked with Laura Kearney on this podcast. The last time we talked to her, she was the deputy manager of the Gateway Program and talked with manager Dan Hartman, who's still ma uh, the manager today. You can check out that episode when the program was at its infancy, episode 157. Uh, she was also on a couple of other episodes. She was on episode 102 as one of many NASA leaders talking about the next first steps for the agency. Uh, and she also stood in on a, a panel to talk about the Apollo 10 mission. Uh, if you want to check that out, that's episode 92. You can check out any of our episodes in no particular order at nasa.gov slash podcast. Our full collection is there. We're at Houston. We have a podcast. But there's other shows that you can find there, too, and make sure you check them out as well. 
Uh, if you want to talk to us, we're the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show or maybe ask a question. And just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston. We have a podcast. This episode was recorded on May 23rd, 2022. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Heidi Lavelle, Belinda Polito, Rebecca Wicks, and Stephanie Cibola. And of course, thanks again to Laura Kearney for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week. <laughs>